Hi there, and welcome to the Creative Endeavor podcast, the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. And in this episode of the Creative Endeavor, I'm talking to Lucas Kratokwil, who is an amazing landscape painter based in Canada. Now, Lucas originally hails from Argentina, and his newfound home of Canada has really inspired a huge series of works, in particular, some hyper-realistic mountainous landscapes. I've been following Lucas on Instagram for a while, and I'm just blown away every time I see one of his images come up on my feed. It's not only the sheer size, but it's just that quality of technique. He certainly has produced a consistent, high-quality body of work. And for such a young artist, he's also achieved quite a level of success. I wanted to find out more about how Lucas makes it work as a business, but also find out what makes him tick creatively. This was a great conversation. I certainly got a lot out of it, and I hope you will too. So without further ado, here's Lucas Kratokwil in The Creative Endeavor. Lucas Kratochwil, welcome to the Creative Endeavor podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to meet you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Andrew. Thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome. Now, look, I'm talking to you. You're over in, in Canada at the moment, and your studio is in Vancouver. Is that right? Or... It's uh, just, just outside of Vancouver. Yep. It's called Roberts Creek. Um, it's a 40-minute ferry away, and it's more of a rural environment. Very cozy, very laid back, lots of nature. No street lights, just perfect for painting Brilliant. away. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, yeah. look, we have a lot to talk about in this episode, and there's a lot of things that I want to ask you, but why don't we kick things off and just start off with your art and your creative journey? When maybe, when did you first realize that you wanted to be an artist? Yeah, well, um, I was born in Argentina uh, to a family that moved from Austria. And my grandfather was a painter. He did landscapes and portraits. And he has a very interesting story of how he would, um, um, throughout the, um, the war in Europe, um, they sent him, he was fairly old when the Second World War started. So they sent him as an outpost to the Alps to report enemy movement. And he wasn't really much into fighting or weapons or anything like that. So he took his little painting kit and he would go anywhere else in the mountains and just paint the Alps. So we have a collection of his paintings from the Alps for the first few years. Then they sent him to the Northern Sea to study waves. Um, so he did a whole bunch of paintings of waves and studying tides and stuff. And then at the end, he was captured by the Russian army that was moving into Germany. Um, and after a few weeks of being entrapped in like a prisoner's camp, he escaped through a little river that was flowing uh, under a fence. And he walked afoot for, I believe it was like eight months alone through like hostile enemy territory back to Switzerland where the rest of my family was exiled. And through that time, he was staying at um, uh, like the only people who had food and shelter were uh, farmers, essentially. So he would stay at farmers places. And in exchange of um, food and shelter, he would paint portraits of them. So he made his way through the war painting, essentially, <laughs> which I think it's, it's fascinating. And it uh, goes to show also resourcefulness, right? And uh, after that, he reunited with the family and moved back to Argentina, where he, he was already living there before the war. Um, 
and he had just gone back to Europe because he saw a hostile climate coming and he wanted to bring his family back. And while he was there, war started and he was enrolled. So he got stuck there, but um, ended up in Argentina. And then they moved to, they bought a plot of land uh, in Patagonia. And back then the, the government would say, okay, pick as much as you want. The only condition is you have to fence it. And fencing was very expensive. So he, yeah, got a decent plot of land um and and established there and built some cottages and so my dad grew up in that environment as well he, he was born in argentina so he, he grew up very much living in this uh, cottages in patagonia and learning from my my grandfather was doing everything by hand there was no cell phone or nothing back then of course and so everything was done by hand um you had to anything you wanted you have to make yourself uh, even my my grandma would um like saw um the clothes and the tents and anything. And um, and so he grew, grew up like that and learning how to paint and how to just be in nature all day. And then he he moved to the to the city, to Buenos Aires, that's the capital of Argentina. And he he was still doing his, his, his painting on the side, but he, he got a, a full-time job uh, at a company. And I was born later in 1989. Um, and so, both my mom and my dad, uh, they come from like a German speaking background. And so they taught me German as a first kid and they just bombarded me with artistic stuff. And uh, my mom, who was always into uh, alternative schooling methods and alternative medicine and holistic approaches to, to just life, um, she, she was very keen in sending me to a Waldorf school. I don't know if you have Waldorf schools in New Zealand. It's like an alternative schooling method, like Montessori and stuff like that. But essentially, uh, the emphasis is put in in allowing kids to um, grow on their own time and then really find and develop their talents or so whatever they're good at, whatever their interest is, just go go more for it. And putting a lot of um, creative stuff, painting, music, all of that into it. And so from early on, I just did that a lot of painting and drawing and sketching and doing music. And uh, there was no TV at home because my parents wanted me to be engaged in, in, in just creating stuff. And I, I absolutely loved it. And so I, I, at, the, at the beginning, it was just, that's the thing to do. It's just playtime. There's crayons, there's dough, there's uh, clay. Um, and then as, of course, you grow older and I became a teenager, then um, at some point I was very jealous of all my buddies who had their Game Boys and computers and I would... <laughs> <laughs> kind of resent my parents for not uh, allowing me to be normal or whatever. Uh, but still, I, I, it was so ingrained in me already that um, I just still love to just come home. And for four hours, I would play the guitar. I, I did a lot of music. Like that's a big, um, big part of my life as well. Or build models or just draw and paint. And in school, I was always the one who was the better at painting, the better at drawing. And uh, I was that, was that was great amongst my friends and bad against my art teacher who was always like, oh, you're just, <laughs> why don't you stay in line? <laughs> yeah, and then by the end of, 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 of high school, I was either going to go fully into music. I, I had a lot of bands and I was playing guitar. So either into music or into arts, um, especially sculpture at the time. I really liked sculpture. I always had a, was drawn to uh, figurative stuff, either if it was, even if it was, um, um, surrealistic like Dali or things like that um, that was always like stuff that um, whenever I saw it I thought like wow like how 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 have they done that um, and because th those are also 
the kind of paintings that I grew up seeing at home. Like I had paintings of my grandfather. He was very old school trained in Vienna. It was all representational, like landscapes and people and um, just beautifully done. And so, yeah, I just grew up ingrained in that tradition. And it was it was it was never much of a question. Right. You know, it's it's so cool hearing about like your your childhood and and your past. Um I, I guess I reflected a little bit of that. I, I was one of those kids as well. I was known as a kid in class that could draw and could paint and do all that stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, looking back on it now, I think it's really interesting because I, I think my parents had a, a very similar take on, on raising children um, to what your parents mm-hmm. had because we we had a television, but not until later. Like I remember a TV coming into the house and being a big yeah. deal. And my parents were at the time, and it kind of explains it now, but at the time I was like, why can't I watch this? And they're like, no, 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 mm-hmm. no. You get to watch the TV when we say you get to watch the TV. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be painting, drawing, reading, and, and doing your schoolwork. Um, yeah. We're not just going to sit in front of the TV and watch it. And and this exactly. was what all my friends were doing as a kid. And, you know, they had the Game Boys and the... And uh, all sorts, like the Nintendo 64, the Sega or whatever. And it was such a big deal to go to my friend's house to go have a uh, go at one of these things. But of course, because sure, yeah. I didn't have one, I was rubbish yeah. at it. I was at, so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but looking, really. looking back now, I mean, we got to be grateful for that, right? Because because it, it does ultimately lead you to where you, you're going to be led. And then also, I think as a kid, being in that kind of environment, it builds this discipline doesn't it because mm-hmm. now working towards something that, that is like a creative goal now suddenly doesn't seem like such a big deal it's exactly like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah this is natural i can do this now mm-hmm. so so give me a lucas give me a snapshot of where you are now like i'm speaking to you so for the people that are listening to the to the audio version of this podcast won't be able to see the background but you're sitting right now in front of one of your magnificent paintings Maybe tell me a little bit about your work and what inspires you now and, and what kind of direction are you going in creatively now? Yeah, well, um, this is actually my latest painting. It's called uh, The Perfect Day. And as you see, it's just a one of those bluebird days that you get on the top of a mountain. And this um, is a scene um, of, of the top view of Blackcomb Mountain looking at Whistler Mountain. And this is... Um, this is a very famous uh, ski resort that we have here close by in BC, close to where I live. And I love skiing and I love being in the mountains and being in nature because that was a big part of how I grew up. And and so whenever I I I I, I am in nature, I'm just you probably know this feeling as well. It's just so awe-inspiring, right? Like the magnificence of the mountains just blows you away. And there's there's a feeling there that you can't really pinpoint what it is, but it's it's um it sort of stops you on your tracks, right? It makes everything quiet down in the mind. And I'm fascinated by how um by first like trying to identify what that is and why it's so universal, because it seems to me like at least most of the people that I've met experience sort of you can't really tell what people are feeling but it's a very similar feeling for most of people and similar to how music that doesn't have any specific mm, doesn't have to have a language or anything specific makes a lot of people feel a certain thing like happy music sad music i'm interested in how landscapes can also have that impact how some landscape can make you feel very calm something can make you feel more on edge and 
and so that's the essential search behind my my work in, in landscape is to capture that 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 um that impact that awe that it has and try to 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 paint from from those ex those emotions that i felt when i was standing there right and at this point um i'm, I'm yeah i feel super blessed and fortunate uh to be able to to now paint full time i always loved um landscapes i painted throughout my life all sorts of stuff um as, as I mentioned before, like growing up, I painted, I had a part where it was all race cars and I only painted race cars. And then it was all uh, medieval armored things and creatures. And then all the Lord of the Rings came out and I was like, so into that. Yeah. So <laughs> you probably know the landscapes. Um, and I was, yeah, just painting out of, out of, yes, yeah, reading the books and I saw the movies in the theaters and stuff. Uh, but always in my mind, um, I thought if, if I ever, want to go more serious into paintings um it has to be something that i really would like to have in my house and be able to look full time and for me that I had has always been landscapes and so a few years ago after moving to to canada um i just was so blown away by the nature here that i started painting um i, I said okay I'm, i want to i want to have a painting in my home from these mountains and so i went to the store and bought the biggest canvas they had and and started uh, painting it and putting it up in social media and people really started taking an interest in it um they there because of the style and and the size and the compositions that i was doing um it's um it was sort of a more contemporary and different approach to to, to landscape paintings and it's been it's been really growing from there and and yeah um just doing it full time and I absolutely love it. That's awesome. So so social media has actually been a big part of your journey and your trajectory and getting your name out there. When if you don't mind me asking, when was that first post made and was it posted on Instagram or Facebook? Yeah, it was on on, on Instagram. Um and I think it was 20 um when was it? 2017 or 2018 like late 2017 or early 2018 wow so um, this so, thing so this thing is just very, been meteoric fairly recent yeah wow yeah, yeah. It, it just um but it was you know it's it's not something that i i just a year ago decided oh i'm gonna have a go at painting landscapes and For see sure. what happens and boom For it's sure. uh it's been a lifetime of of cumulative things right Absolutely. and so um it just so happened that landscapes was the thing that that um um for one for one part um, it's what motivated me the most but also um people have responded to it right um mm -hmm. i've painted many many things before and a lot of them have just yeah gotten a few likes in my facebook and are in some basement somewhere <laughs> <laughs> and uh um but um but this i feel it's um it's it's the thing similar to what happens with with music it's um Landscapes is, is, is so universal, right? Like where everybody has a relationship to landscapes. That's right. And and what I liked about my work too, and that's something that that I like the kind of art that I appreciate is also a kind of art that doesn't need uh, a big text right next to it or an art expert telling you, oh, oh this goodness. is 
Lucas <laughs> and his uh, childhood trauma. And so he paints this spot here that indicates his dad and whatever. Uh, so like, <laughs> to me, all of that stuff, which has, uh, yeah, just gained a lot of traction last century, I guess. Mm. Um, it, it, it's, it, I, I, I don't understand how it, how it got put in the same category as what I consider art, right? Like, uh, mm big like uh, Rembrandts and, and, and Monet's and Bierstadt's and like all uh, like this the craft right the, the the thing that can stand on its own how that has gotten in the same bag as pure um, just mental explorations right and yeah, so yeah. I would call it something else but and so for me for me that that's that's always this the stuff that I admire like something that can stand in a room and I can just walk in and say like wow I, I, I'm, I'm, I couldn't do that. <laughs> How has it been done? Uh, why do I like it? And, and like, and just being able to, to be able to look at it for a while and actually also have a feeling of, of, of liking it. Right. Because there's a lot of stuff that's amazing. Uh, but then it's like, Oh, it actually like touches on my, on my darkest corners and puts me too much on edge. And sure. It's nice to watch it for a while and have some, some introspection, but it's not what I would like to have hanging in my, in my house all the time. Something that's going to uplift me and make me bring me to a good space. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm going to be spending months painting something, um, at least at this time of my life, it's, it's going to be more about the stuff that I actually love and, and feels like the highest qualities in myself reflected on. That's that's wonderful to hear because really essentially what you're doing then is you're exploring something for yourself. You're painting for yourself and not necessarily trying to cater to an audience. It sounds like you're just trying to scratch that itch and, and find that thing that inspires you most. I mean, because as, as you said, when you when you started this journey, you wanted to paint something that was for your own house. Now, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's so cool because I, I think the trap that a lot of us artists build for ourselves is this idea of catering to an audience and and also you know i've spoken about this in the podcast so much and and you know myself and, and my guests have, have kind of reflected on this theme of authenticity versus originality i i for mm -hmm. one kind of have to put the originality out the window i, I don't even consider it uh, all i go is what's cool what do i love what do i really want to see and what would mm -hmm. i hang on my living room wall you know, what, what yeah. is, what is the thing that I could see myself living with? And this is the thing I love um, for me, just, just, you know, my, my personal feeling when I see another artist that I feel is like really dialed in, it's somebody who is like authentically just going, no, 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 what's cool. What do I want to live with? <laughs> I really admire that. Now this painting, we, we should mention as well that the painting behind you is, is an absolute freaking monster. Oh man, come on! Get it. yeah, yeah. Okay, it's it's well and truly bigger than you. So, well, what did you say this was? It was ninety six by sixty. Ninety six by sixty. Yeah, inches. So that's like two fifty, two forty by one fifty, or something like that. Wow. Roughly, that's, yeah. <laughs> see, and, and again, I mean, I know what an undertaking it is to paint something that big. How long did that painting take you to do? So um, this one, it's it actually started last winter. That was when I, I actually was there skiing one day and I had this, this just amazing day. And then the thought just stuck with me uh, for a long time. And then I ordered the canvas, but then I moved. We actually moved from Vancouver uh, to here. And so I had the canvas laying there for a few months. Um, and then I started it. Um, yeah, I think I had two, three months of, of painting. But um, normally, um, like what I estimate, they take around 
200 to 300 hours. And the way I paint, I paint um, wet and wet, you know, a la, a la prima, and I, I don't do layering or anything like that. So I just, I go and I try to do it as good as I can. And once the painting is, the canvas is full of paint, that's it. <laughs> I, I may come back to some details here and there, but um, I, I try to do it all in one go. And so um, what I like to do is is, is to get a, get a period of time where I'm going to be working on one piece and just consistently be able to work on that because as you know, like stuff needs to be wet to blend in. And, and so it's, 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 um, I do like, like short marathons. Right. And, um, then, then there's periods uh, in between where a few weeks go by and I'm not painting anything. I'm just thinking or preparing. And a lot of time, um, goes into, just preparing stuff before I even start painting, right? Selecting all the colors and making sure the composition is right and and thinking, like trying to, I, I do like reps in my mind of how I'm gonna approach it, like where I'm gonna start and what kind of, what is gonna come next and what's gonna be a good area that I'll finish in in, in a week or so. Um, yeah, just figure out the game plan before going into it. Um, but, but for me, the size is, um, actually I wanna, like I work with this and, and bigger canvases, and the reason for that is something that I, I I noticed. You know, when you're out in nature and it's just it's vast, it's it's fully surrounding you, and it hits you. And then we always go and like we take a little picture with our phone, and you look at it in three inches, and it's it's always disappointing. Like it doesn't it doesn't convey the same impact, right? And so I found that with the scale uh, of these paintings, um, it's sort of when you're standing in front of it, it it, it it draws you in again and it connects you to, to a more, like if it does something in your brain that it, it, it actually feels more like being in nature. And, um, it, yeah, it's, it, it's just much more emotional as a viewer to be standing in something huge, uh, and, and seeing the full landscape than just looking at something that's, that's very small. It's interesting. I, I've always had that feeling when I get back from a trip uh, or like, you know, I've gone someplace like extraordinary and, and oh, I yeah. get back to the studio, I'm looking at the photographs and there's this massive letdown feeling. And then yeah. the, the act of painting, you know, using some of those references is like teasing that feeling back out again of going, yeah, I remember this was epic. I remember the scale was just off the charts. Yeah. And when I was there, I was just blown away. But now, yeah. you know, I, it's reduced down to pixels and, and just this little <laughs> tiny thing. Now, I totally yeah. get that. And to me, it's just the act of painting itself is is almost the act of, of remembering, you know, yeah. what it was like to be out there. It's, it's really cool because as you're speaking, I'm kind of... I'm getting these uh, these kind of visions of your grandfather, uh, who who would be kind of looking at you now, and, and the way he studied the landscape, and and as you were saying, you know, the waves and tides, and and mm -hmm. you know, even making portraits. There's there's something of that artist nature definitely coming through, you know. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. That's 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 a, that's a good way to put it. It's uh, it's definitely about um, remembering and reconnecting with that emotion, and to me. Um, something that I noticed as well, and, and not necessarily now, but throughout my life, is that when, like, the moment of the moment of, of, of biggest inspiration is, and, and the moment you like the painting the most is when you when you get that first idea. Oh, this is going to be a painting, and and you can sort of visualize it, and and like so many emotions come up. Um, and then when you're in your studio and you start painting, that that 
it tends to diminish a lot. <laughs> it's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, you're, you get under under a spell, right? And until you until the painting is is actually done, like I, I I think like once you once you start a painting, you you actually can never really see the painting as it actually is. As as an artist, you always just see the brush strokes and the paint, and you know where is what, and all oh, this could have been done differently, or or here I would adjust this. It you're never gonna see it the same way someone sees it for the first time, not even if it was yourself. And so I feel like it's it's very important to to have um, like an more emotional registry of what you felt at that first first time, and to sort of try to it's like a muscle, right? Whenever you're painting, like evoke that feeling and and that's going to fire you up again to to keep going. Uh, and for me, that's that's what happens with these mountains. Like uh, some of the emotions that I feel is like, oh, epic, big, uh, cool, crisp and cold, th things like that. And and when I'm painting, like I try to to reconnect with it and oh, yeah. And then the, you can sort of keep playing in the shadows. And it's just a mountain like um, there's millions of them. But there's something that you felt at one point that made it so unique and and when you're painting that, I feel like definitely those emotions get get um, like uh, Im imprinted onto what you're doing, and and that yeah, eventually people people then see it and can 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 feel it as well. There's this thing um, that I that I feel again, just reflecting what you're saying there, like standing out in the landscape and you're standing at this magnificent view. I, I can see the composition right then and there. I'm like, man, mm -hmm. this needs to be. This needs to be put on canvas. And, and so, yeah. you know, I, of course, I'll record that with a camera, maybe video or something like that. But what I've been in the habit of doing in recent years is when I get back to the studio, I'll make a short list of all of the compositions that I saw on my trip mm -hmm. away or my, my daily nice. excursion to go and paint on plein air. So I'll do a little thumbnail sketch, but then I'll put a statement next to that sketch about something that I loved. And to me, that word love... That's an important word because mm -hmm. I think as artists, I think we need to be dialed into the emotion side of things as well, because there's mm -hmm. something there that gets us on a, on a heart level. It's like, no, what is yep. not just what do I like about? No, what do I love about this? What what is what Absolutely. is really cool about this? What what is the thing that is drawing me in? And then how can I tease that out and then present that to the viewer? That that's been such an important part for for me and my artistic journey. It's not that you you hit it on every single painting and you're able to recapture mm -hmm. that, but the thing that I'm addicted to is just trying, just yeah, totally. just just giving it a shot. And and it's the process that you know. It's not that that you're creating. You know, for me necessarily, it's not that that I'm creating. Um, you know, standalone works that everyone's a hit. But each one, I just feel I get a little bit closer, you know, and yeah, it's it's fun. So what do you, yeah. what, let me ask you this though, because you will get this, uh, I'm sure of it. What do you do what, or how do you feel when you have people look at your work and say, Lucas, great work, mate. It looks just like a photograph. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, at the beginning, I was like, oh, well, actually, I hope it looks like a landscape, right? Uh, and and then, yeah, that's what I meant. So I, I sort of understood that people, when they say that it looks like a photograph, it means that it actually looks accurate, right? Because what that's what what's what we know nowadays is um, it's very and that's something I've, I've been reflecting to a lot. And that's also uh, something that I watch when I when I started, like when I sort of working on my style, 
I feel the way that people um, consume landscapes nowadays and, and most of stuff in life, it's it's through photographs, right? People look at landscapes very differently than they would look back uh, 50, 20, 100 years ago. Um, like I, I was in I was in the Rockies a few a few weeks ago and um, I was reading about how when they were building the rail the railroads they would um, like they would they would build these uh, like the railroad itself would lease out land around it for developers to build hotels luxury hotels to bring people from Europe to come and see the Rockies right and they would come for months like they would bring their butlers they would bring huge chests of clothes and they would stay for months just looking at the rockies right and they would go on tours and go to lake louise and go have their tea there and it's just such a different such a different perception of time and and how to interact with things right um but that's that's a thing of the past so i guess back then you would do a painting and they would say oh that looks exactly like what i saw in the rockies <laughs> and nowadays oh that's exactly like what i saw on instagram or whatever uh, <laughs> i think i think it comes from there uh but i i think it means the same that it, it just means that wow you nailed it like that's exactly uh what it looks like and what i feel when i look at it and um so yeah i i i I take it. I take it as a compliment, I guess. <laughs> and and for me too. Like sometimes I see paintings of others, and I feel like, wow, like is is that a photograph? Like, and, and then you mm. walk up close, and oh no, it's still a painting. Good. <laughs> okay. Well, then I I got another I got another stupid question for you. Um, what do you then say? And I'm asking this because I, I still don't have a good answer for it. Um, because I do. I have gotten this from time to time. I still get it. Um, Lucas, why not just take a photograph? What's the, um, what's the point? What's the point? Well, what's the what's the point of anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, the thing too is, um, I I can't really like now take the camera and put you back, but sure. I'm sure you know with your paintings as well. Like something mm. may look like a photograph from a certain distance, mm. but as you bring it close, it's still mm. it's you see the brush strokes, and that's Absolutely. something that for me is important as well to keep um, a painterly aspect to it. Yes. Um, and that's why I also don't, don't call it like, uh, photorealism. It's, I'm not really painting every little tree and every little rock. Um, it's more, more of like an, uh, experiential realism because it's, it's, it's like realistic, it's accurate depiction of something, but it's, it's more of a depiction of, of, of an experience and an emotion I had. It's not mm. that much like really every little tree and how it looks and how the camera captures it. And, um, and there's a lot of things that the camera can do, like, uh, you, you know, like the, the different exposures between light and shadow and, and some colors also get a little bit messed up. And it's never going to it's never going to see the same way your brain sees, like your brain is perfectly capable to, of seeing detail in the dark shadow and mm. seeing a super sunlit surface at the same time. Right. And mm. yeah. if you would take a photograph like that could do that, it would look super flat because your brain is sort of mm -hmm. triggering. Right. And I feel that's the magic of painting. That's you can actually uh, fine tune into doing that and creating the illusion that you're actually looking at a landscape and not a photograph. Probably if I would print this out, um, this would all be like black. You wouldn't see anything in the shadows and, and let alone the forest would be completely black. Or you would see the forest nice and, and this would be all white blown out and you wouldn't see anything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and so... And then also I feel like there's... A, at least I also love the challenge of... of uh, people say, oh, well, you're just like 
painting a photograph or whatever. And it's like, you know how hard it actually is? Like, try to paint a photo. <laughs> like, mm. people who do photorealism, which is n not what I am fully after, but I do appreciate, like, it takes so much work. Like, there's this guy, I don't know his name now, but he, he paints, like, fishes in a, in a little glass cup. And... Oh, I know of that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, I've seen his work before. Yeah. And he paints them in such a way that it just it looks like you could touch them. But it's yeah, small subjects, yeah. but blowing up quite big as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he has like 100 little brushes. And I, I don't know how long it takes him. And, and, mm. and but it, it's amazing. And that really looks like a printed out photograph, even for like super up close. Yeah. Whereas um, I still like to keep a... a painterly aspect to it and mm. yeah and and it, it, it definitely conveys something different than a, than a photo yeah i mean and, and as i said I, I did i did preface that by saying it was a stupid question um oh, yeah, because yeah. i i i do get that i have got that before a few times and how and do people... you how do you deal with it <laughs> <laughs> i tell them where to go I, I i don't like swearing on the podcast but you, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you, you could probably imagine what i tell them. no I, I i i try to be nice to people because sometimes you know, with, with the first thing is like, oh, wow, it looks just like a photo. To me, mm -hmm. as we're saying, it's it's very much the language of today. You know, and yeah. I love what you were saying about, you know, people going to have their tea at Lake Louise and, and appreciating the Rocky Mountains, yeah. where it's like, oh, that looks just like the landscape or that that triggers the experience that I had in the landscape. Your painting yeah. does that. And, and I guess mm -hmm. paintings had maybe that type of relevance back in the day. But now because we're inundated with flat images that we look at on screens, that has now become part of our language. And so everyday yeah. people without the art background, maybe that aren't painters at all, will go, wow that looks just like a photo but mm -hmm. you know and so I, I guess for myself I, I i have to take it as as a compliment because they're just all they're trying to do is say hey to me you're hitting the right notes where that looks real enough that it reflects the experience that i've had even if it's through my iphone yeah um, exactly so so to me that's fine but with the other one with hey why not just take a photograph this mm -hmm. is often said by people who don't paint and I, oh, yeah. I, again, I think you can always go so much further in a painting, as you were saying, than you can mm -hmm. with with a flat photograph, because it, with with a, an extreme scenario like what we have behind you, and I call that extreme in terms of the lighting, as you're saying, you've got all sorts of beautiful nuance that ha happens in sunlit snow. And of yep. course, if you try to take a photograph of that and you're perfectly exposed in your photograph, even on your iPhone with a high dynamic range or whatever, yeah. it's going to still capture that snow reasonably well. But now all your shadows have completely dropped out. So if you're going to yep. do that, maybe you could employ bracketing and maybe you could process the image digitally. Mm -hmm. But I think in the hands of a really good oil painter, you're able to hit that real reality button a little bit better than any photograph mm -hmm. ever could. So you're really going above and beyond and pushing the image beyond. And I, I love that. I love that about your work. You said something there, though, that I think that is going to be, that's the first time I've ever heard that said. And and I, I maybe we can take this opportunity, if this is original, to you can go ahead and coin that. Experiential realism. I've never go. heard okay. that before. <laughs> I, and I think as soon as you said it, I'm like, ah, oh, that's a... That's a perfect mm -hmm. term that describes mm -hmm. what we do as painters. It's is celebrating that experience 
and creating realism based on our experience. It's not hyper-realism. It's not photorealism. No. It's yep. experiential realism. I, I, that's so cool, Absolutely. man. So okay. go ahead. You coin it <laughs> if it's not a thing. You know, you heard it here yeah, first. Well, I, I don't know. It's, it's something that... <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's something that I was reflecting too, because people were asking me, okay, so what's your style? And, and first I was thinking, well, it's definitely not photorealism because like, I know it's not, um, and, and it's, it's not what I'm after. And, but it's also not realism because realism, what I associate is like, uh, I don't know, like John Singer Sargent is realism. Right. And, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't look like, um, what, what I would feel in, 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 in a landscape nowadays, at least. Um, and I think, <clears throat> That comes a little bit back to to how we consume landscapes nowadays. I, I definitely feel that um like if, if you compare um like a very contemporary portrait and a very like uh, late 1800s portrait, both like at the top of their game, beautiful, um, they look very different. Like and you can tell like oh this looks more vintage, like it, it looks more of the days of old, and this looks like more the days of today, and even. Sure, today they, they're maybe they're using more camera and stuff, but even if they're still like painting life, um, I feel that difference has a lot to do with with the way that at certain time people consume whatever subject matter it is, right? The way people would look back then, like maybe the rooms were painted differently, they had different lighting, um, everything in that era is just perceived different and and they're ex they're experienced different, so that's why it looks different. And nowadays everything like we consume so much stuff through social media and a lot of presets and saturation and things that definitely affects the way we perceive things. And so I think realism nowadays, if, if, if you're painting it to look vintage, then you maybe could call it, it, it would still be called realism. But I think nowadays realism is, is not the same realism as, as, as um, what's commonly felt as. So I don't know, that's, <laughs> that's where I was trying to, to, to bring more of my, the, the experience part of it into it for sure. I, th I guess everything could be called experience or realism because they were experiencing something at the time there as well. But I don't know. Let's, let's use a new word for it. Sounds good. <laughs> I, I think it, I think it needs a new word. I, I, I like it. I'm, I'm sticking to it, but, but I, I, I will give you credit anytime I use it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Look, this is um... it's royalty free guys. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Could you imagine? Yeah. So, um, uh... You know, it's it, it that that's actually a good one though. Um, royalties, I, I like that because um, as artists, especially as experiential realists, we need to find ways of monetizing our work. What a segue! <laughs> Wasn't that a great segue? <laughs> good one, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I think we got to find a way to to kind of market ourselves, get our work out there, share share our work, and sell our work. Ultimately, um, what I would re really like to ask you about because, you know this is relatively recent for you. Like, yeah. if you don't mind me saying, I mean, from the first post to just exploding into onto the scene as, you know, full-time artist, you, you've got this impressive body of work. How are you shifting these paintings? How are you um, marketing and selling your work now? Um, do you work with galleries, for instance? Can you give me a snapshot of how your business works? Yeah, I so um, I do work with a gallery and it's 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 been quite okay i just send them paintings and they sell them for me um and then i do a lot of um like private and and private commissions for for my own personal network of, of just pr private clients and that has been growing a lot um 
and yeah, like like I said before, like um, I painted most of my life, but these landscapes and what is now like my my thing, my it, and what I'm sticking to, um, a lot of it has has come from social media. So people find me on Instagram, they go to my website, they see it, they like it, they they show it to some friends, or they comment and they ask, oh, like, would you be would it be possible to paint this for me? And um, and then also. A lot of work I've been getting more and more is from people who have a painting in their home and friends come over and see it, love it, and then they want to order paintings as well. So um, those have been my my main channels. And um, and and it's it's been it's been for me a thing of of like uh, demand and and supply, right? My my paintings do take a long time to to produce, and and people I think that's something that um, stuff that's um, like realistic or, or, or that has some, some level of, of craftsmanship behind it can sort of shortcut that grind of, 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 of having to start at a very low price point and having to slowly build up. If there's something that has an inherent quality to it, that is kind of undeniable, um, people will see that and will understand like, oh yeah, I get why this is, um, a premium thing and why it has a certain cost to it. And, they're not necessarily like outraged by oh why are you thinking you can charge this much and it's like uh, it's like oh yeah well that looks impressive I can't afford it or yeah I I, I know why it's worth and here's a check <laughs> that's wonderful so a couple of things I want to ask you then about that how does one build their own network of personal clients how did you build that list and how do you continually and actively market to those people yeah so it's still growing. Uh, of course, and um, a, a lot of it started with just like people who, who 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 found me and ordered their first painting, and it was people I didn't know. And then th- through them, I got intro- uh, introduced to to friends and family, and it just grew like that. And then also just people that that I did know from 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 work. Um, when when we moved to to Canada first, uh, my wife and I. Um, got full-time jobs and we I was working as an as a industrial designer because I actually studied design that's a another part that I, I can touch upon um and and my wife as, as an architect and being in that field we we got to know um, a lot of people in Vancouver as well who were like big into high-end homes or big into skiing like there's a there's a huge um uh, sports and outdoors community here in, in western Canada and all of them, when they saw that I was actually doing these paintings and we would show them to them, they all got excited. And, and uh, some of those people were my first customers as well. And and then they they kept referring me on. So and um, I just grew that up. And it's it's a lot, a lot of it. I feel um, it's about that personal connection and, and, and showing up and calling people and having meetings and, and doing stuff together. I feel it's as nice as it is to get a like an anonymous sale through a gallery. There's something definitely to be said about having a relationship to to the person who's gonna have your painting, and that person is not only gonna buy a painting because it, they just like the the thing. It's because they like you as a person, and they have a good connection, a good vibe, and they want to support you and and just cheer you along, right? And so that's that's how that's been growing. That's amazing. And, and you know, that's one of the reasons why I've been quite critical of galleries and feel like the model is inherently flawed 
is because mm -hmm. it doesn't allow the artists themselves to build that personal connection. That middle yeah. ground between, you know, gallery and client is is really fiercely guarded by the gallery. You know, you're not going to meet your client that comes into the no. gallery. <laughs> if, if that gallery, you know, <clears throat> that, that that's just something that they're they're protecting. And I get it. I get the business side of things because some artists would then go about, you know, trying to network and undercut the gallery yep. and try and go direct. Yep. And, and I, I appreciate that. But for me, going it alone, being independent and forging those personal relationships with my clients, that's been, you couldn't put a price on it. You could not put a no. price on it. Because mm -hmm. the other thing as well, just as somebody that's in, I'm obsessed with providing a service and being of mm -hmm. service and of help and being valuable that I want to hear what their needs are. And so if there's yeah. a communication filter between me and my client, I can't really tell. I can't hear it in their voice. I can't, you know, there, there's, we never met. So all I have is, is uh, Andrew, you got a request here. We, we need to do this painting or whatever. And oh, by the way, give me 50%. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not yeah. doing it. <laughs> Now, please excuse this brief interruption. I just want to take one minute to tell you about this podcast sponsors. I've teamed up with Rosemary & Co. because they make the best brushes I have ever come across. And right now on the Rosemary & Co. website, you can find some sets that we've put together for landscape, portrait, and on plein air painting. These are my favorite brushes in the world. And you can also find our signature Tish Dagger brush. Find out what that's all about. Simply go to www.rosemaryandco.com and check them out there. Simply search my name Tischler in the search field on the Rosemary & Co. website and those sets will pop straight up. Make sure you check them out. Go to rosemaryandco.com. Now, while we're on the subject of high quality painting material, make sure you take a look at Blue Ridge oil colors. These are, again, my favorite paints to use. I'm only telling you about what I use in the studio for either my commission work or the big studio pieces that I'm producing for my YouTube tutorials. Now, Blue Ridge oil paint are jam packed full of pigment and I just love them. Right now, you can find a landscape set, a portrait set, and an on plein air painting set as well on that website. Simply go to www.blue BlueRidgeOilPaint.com. And again, your purchase of the brushes or the paint goes towards supporting the free content that I continue to produce, whether it's this podcast or my YouTube videos. Okay, forgive me, we went a little bit over a minute, but please do check out these great sponsors. I've certainly enjoyed working with them and I'm gonna to continue to work with them to try to bring you simply the best quality oil painting material. Now let's jump straight back into our conversation with Lucas Kratokwil. So you're, yeah. you sound like you're very much on the cusp or on the verge of, of going it alone or maybe, maybe trying that for a while. Or am I, am I assuming yeah. too much, Lucas? No, no, that's, that's, that's correct. And I think that's something that ultimately, um, every artist, um, I mean, I mean, I, I, I I'm not going to say every artist because there's different roads and there's different scenarios for everyone, but, uh, for a lot of people. It does make sense, and it, it it all comes down to what, how do you want to live your life, and how do you want to live your business? Because for me, this is not just like, um, like I would if I would have I don't know like a clothing company, and sure, some product gets built, and I don't care if if I'm selling it or if I have some retailers here. It's 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 a product that's 
detached from 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 me like i care about my business and i figure out how how to make money and how to move things around but here my business is sort of ingrained with my my entire life like i spend time going to these places i spend time thinking about them um i spend hours and hours working on them and i do or at least me i'm a people's person as well as, as much time as i spend isolated in my studio uh, i i do like having personal time with people and so uh, i find it so much more rewarding when when that process is is actually shared and um i do have a connection and i know where it's going and i can always like call them up or they can send me pictures oh loving it today like we had some friends over and this happened like they were making comments like that's that's so awesome um and then comparing the experiences that i had when selling through a gallery and selling uh, like to people that that came to me and and just wanted something um that fully resonates with me and that's how i want to build my thing and also i feel like uh i mean you get an art gallery sale cool then you have to just produce another painting taken there it sells cool and then it's the next one there's the next one uh and maybe over time like your prices increase by something that you're not have no control on and how do you ever break free of that like it's 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 never going to be your own show and at least for me like it's this is all so personal that i want to like it's i want to have have the whole experience uh not because I'm a control freak or anything, but I, I really want to be in all the parts of the process, right? And and I feel the only way to grow it is to actually like uh, go out there and 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 just put the work in and, and the effort. It's it's basically effort and energy and and focus into growing uh, your art business as you want to live it, right? Because it's it's gonna take years and it's it's a years years long commitment. It's not something that you do a short term to make some money and then you move on to the next thing. That's also the thing. You can't. Um, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't go into into painting a, a huge canvas. It's going to take me months if it if it wasn't something that I'm completely committed on for decades to come. At least that's what I think now. But um, and so as such, I'm thinking, oh, decades. Okay, how I'm going to live those decades? I want to have this kind of structure, and that structure for me is is a very personal and direct thing. So you're very much thinking about this with the long term in mind. And so yeah. you've got some sort of vision for how you'd like your artistic journey to kind of pan out. So mm -hmm. do you, do you, again, I, I ask pretty much all the artists that are on the podcast, uh, this question, <laughs> do you, is, is goal setting that is something that's important for you? And if so, do you write them down? What, what kind of structure do you take when, when, uh, you know, making goals? Um, so what I found th throughout the years, like, um, is that, well, I'm, I'm, I just turned 30, right? So I think like I finished finished high school at, at 18, then I had university. So I feel like the time that I had actually uh, where I was out in the world and making my own decisions, it's, it's been just a few years, right? And before that, everything is pretty much laid out for you and you just have to play along and you think you're making decisions, but nothing's happening. Um, now, every decision that I make is has a much bigger impact right and so goal setting now it's it's more important but also what i have seen is that uh i i would say 90 percent of of the things that i i'm doing now and that i enjoy the most i could have never planned and i haven't foreseen right <laughs> and and so uh i i, I do um, like 
mainly mentally think about um, like scenarios where I would like to see myself and sort of um, uh, like get that feeling of what what it would be like to have that life and and what what, what a certain lifestyle would look like in five years, ten years. Um, but I always very much open to okay, like that's 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 what I would like, but. I'm perfectly fine with whatever comes and I'm just going to give my 100% effort into it. And um, I do practice a lot of um, like meditation and, and yoga and, and breathing methods and things like that. And within all those, within that realm, um, one of the first things that you learn is that like everything is changing all the time, right? And sure, you can plan as much as you like, but if you're so stuck to your plans, you're also opening uh, the can of worms for the biggest misery ever, right? And so uh, I'm not too interested in in, in having this plan and uh, like just struggling and struggling to try to get that done and I may be missing out on some amazing opportunities, right? So uh, it's I find it as a balance. And and for me personally, in the, um, I actually like I have horrible handwriting and I've never been, I, I don't have the patience to, to sit down and write. And uh, so it, but I but I do have a fairly good memory, especially like emotional memory. And so for me, like my my checklists and things like that happen just in my head and in my heart, I guess. And, and I, I can easily reconnect with them. And, and then I can sort of align, oh, is, is this this does this feel like it's going to lead me toward that vision or or toward something else? And then I have to be honest with myself at that time. And, and I think that's that's one of the hardest being like not lie to oneself. And so, for instance, um, that's a thing like with the galleries, for example, we were talking about earlier. Um, if if there's something about the gallery system and the people you're working with that doesn't feel like it's 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 going to ultimately lead you to where you want to be, like you have you have to think, oh, can I take ten years of this? Like, am am, am I going to be okay in ten years looking back at me now and saying it's good that you stay in that relationship or whatever, or you put up with? that or 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 would you be proud of yourself if you were doing something else and so i think that that takes courage and say look no actually i want to be the guy that in a few years i would be proud of myself for having done certain decisions and then just going for them <laughs> yeah forgot what the question was but <laughs> you answered it beautifully Ram no okay. no 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 you answered it beautifully um in fact there's a couple of things there a couple of little rabbit holes opened up that i wouldn't mind going down but sure. uh, again with I, I appreciate what you're saying because life life is uncertain and, you know, people may remember from my podcast that I recorded with Caleb Brown, um, you know, he was talking about, you know, the reality of life being one of, you know, suffering and, and suffering and misery and that sort of thing. I mean, that's going to happen. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be setbacks and we're especially going to experience them as artists. That's just a given. It's not that the whole experience is suffering because that would be horrible no. who would want to live that yeah. life but it's that it's that challenges will come up as part of the journey and nowhere on that list of goals do i have written for instance any challenges or any place where i'm exactly, going to suffer yeah. I'm, I'm not anticipating that within my plan the one thing though and i i do appreciate what you're saying but the one thing though that i, I will say when i whenever i make a plan and write down my goals i um i i am then prepared for flexibility 
And and I kind mm-hmm. of put it up there as a wish list or as almost a letter to Santa Claus saying, yeah. dear Santa, this year I would like, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I, I'll let, I'll let Santa Claus decide, you know, what he's going to, what he's going to deliver or not. Um, yeah. But I, I, I just kind of put one foot in front of the other, you know, faithfully in a particular direction. But the other thing though, that, that I can hear, you know, from, from a lot of people is whenever you write a plan down, whenever you commit that and put that on paper, you're kind of leeching the spontaneity out of, you know, just living this life and seeing what yeah. comes up. I, I found the opposite has actually happened. By doing that, it's actually opened up opportunities and it's gone in really interesting directions. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, I just, I hope people don't mind me just inserting this in, into our conversation here, but there was a thing that I did a couple of years ago and I must do it again in, in conjunction with writing down my goals and, and the plan. But I had, I had one of these things called a, a vision board and um uh, get your vomit bucket ready um i i would put on that on a little uh, cork board and it was actually massive because i i I don't do things by halves but it was it was massive it was like (laughs) it was like two meters by a meter and i just stuck all this stuff up on there about things i'd love to have um places i'd like to go and it was just pictures that would trigger that memory for myself and i i remember at the end of a couple of years you know, we had moved. I'd gotten the vision board back out again. I, I spent, you know, a, a while actively mm-hmm. looking at this thing. But after the move and then kind of unpacking and coming into the new place, I was looking at this vision board going, my God. It's been achieved. Everything <laughs> has been achieved. And yeah. with maybe the exception of a, of a couple of things, but, you know, the places I wanted to go, the people I wanted to talk to, the people I wanted to meet, um, you know, things Thanks. I wanted to do with my career. And I think for me, mm-hmm. what it was is just about, you know, because you, you've you got this already. It is, it is internally built. I can hear that where it's like this compass that's guiding you. And it's, you know, it's your emotional memory, as you were saying, you're very heart driven. And for me, I, I guess I'm similar in that way, but it's nice having something to kind of look at and refer to and go, oh yeah, yeah th- this is what I want to do. This is what I'm what I'm committed to. Um, yeah, I love that. But you, you mentioned something about meditation. And so I can, mm-hmm. I can hear, and, and you seem like a really, you know, dialed in guy, you know, you're really mindful about what you're doing. Um, and, and if not, the illusion is working. I'll let you know that. But, <laughs> but how, did, <laughs> how does, how does, how does meditation um, affect your art and how does that, how does that guide you artistically? I don't know. I can say that it's, it's, um, how can I put this? It's, it's, it's not necessarily like it, it's, it, it changes your art. Like when I was, when I, when I started, let's, let's go like this way. Like I always was interested in, in meditation and, and yoga and all of these things because, um, I heard stories of my other grandfather, uh, from my mother's side who in the forties and thirties, um, living in Uruguay, which is the little country next to Argentina. Um, he got a hold of uh, this book called Autobiography of a Yogi, which is like the first guy from India who brought uh, yoga and meditation to, to, to the States. And he just, that apparently blew his mind and he became very, very interested in it. And he, he got the Indian consulate to bring a Swami to Uruguay and start teaching about uh, all these ancient texts from, from India about, and, and, and doing yoga and meditation. And he sort of embedded that in, into the family a, a bit. And 
but then he passed away at a very young age. And so my family didn't continue with that. But always when I would hear those stories and, and what you hear about meditation growing up, you think it's like, oh, like it's going to give you superpowers or uh, like your brain is going to start working differently. And so I, I was always curious and I always liked more of that that aspect, like super supernatural stuff. Um, but I never really had the time. But then when I, I re-encountered with, with um, Janine, who's now my wife, um, that that's another story of its own but anyways she has been practicing yoga meditation for over a decade and when we were starting to live together she would do her practices every morning and there was just something about the way she lived her life that i could see um wow there's a certain like um, mental priming or something whatever you want to call it that's just different like the wiring seems different on on her than than what i feel and um, so I asked her, like, hey, can I can I just join you? And she said, no, I'll just gift you uh, a course and you can like learn your practice properly and then start incorporating it into your life. And honestly, at that time, like I, I didn't have any kind of traumas or anything. I was always a pretty happy, like, positive guy and always doing stuff. So I was quite OK. But um, the first time I started experiencing these, uh, especially like some uh, rhythmic breathing techniques and things that that I practice now. Um, uh, like it really um, blew my mind, like the kind of experiences that your body can have without consuming any type of substance. <laughs> and uh, and then the the overall effect um, on, on my general mindset throughout the day while doing this consistently, right? It's, it's similar to, I guess, the difference of showering or not showering, like go without showering for, for two months and see how you feel or shower regularly and, and see how you feel. And honestly, it, it felt to me like that, like all of a sudden, it was very gradual and subtle, but um, oh wow, I'm actually like more positive throughout the day, or uh, I'm not clinging on so much to whatever negative things happens, and um, I, I get more and more connected to my my um, sounds very cheesy, but like my 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 intuitive part, like sort of um, we always, we always have an internal neural compass of knowing oh this feels this this feels right, this feels bad, and uh, in in a in a good sense, like a piece of chocolate can feel good, but you know that after it, you're going to feel uh, bad, right? Um, and then, uh, or at least too much of it. And so, but there's things that overall are going to be the healthier, the better choice. And like one, it's funny because like good can't exist without its complement, right? Uh, you can't appreciate the good stuff without the negative stuff. But overall, you can, you, you, there's a part of you that always knows what's what's best. And through 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 practicing uh, meditation and, and these things regularly, I've, I've, I felt like that um, that that voice, that that impulse, that, that whatever you want to call it, has just gotten stronger and stronger to the point that uh, as I keep doing it, it's just like a it's it's like a muscle. It's just stronger, and I can rely on it more, and and it's it's been proven to be more effective. And I what I do feel. Um, uh, the impact it ha has had on my artwork is um, that general state of mind of being more positive and more um, just in a better mood overall has translated to to work that that is on a on a on a on a good mood on positive notes. And there was a stage of my life where I was going through a university and was super stressed. I was living alone in Europe because um, I grew up in Argentina, but then I moved to to Austria to study. 
um, and it was a dark winter and I was eating very poorly and I, I didn't know about vitamin D deprivation and whatever. And I was like borderline, I wouldn't say depressed, but like very, very stressed out. And I was painting some stuff and I was fascinated by um, like Renaissance style at the time. So everything was sepia and like that. And it was just scenes of people chopping each other's heads off and massive war fields, like completely what you wouldn't expect now. And um and very much about criticizing stuff about society and very like figurative, like like I did like a painting that was like a battlefield and it was like uh, just a, two armies going against each other and fighting over a huge pile of just like uh, skeletons and chopped up body parts. And behind them, there were like just some politicians screaming at each other and everybody was just fighting and the earth around was crumbling and there was an explosion in the sky and very much about like how people numblessly just join the bandwagon and hack at each other and and it's just, just for nothing right everyone's the same and anyways like that that was like a big part of my, of my life i wasn't that weird darkish space and but you're so engrossed in it that you can't really realize right and then all of a sudden i moved i moved on stuff changed and i incorporated the meditation in my life and um all of a sudden wow i'm feeling more positive more good it's like oh how nice to actually be able to paint something that it's it, it's beautiful, right? It has uh, uh, nice emotions to it. So I think that that has um, the effects of these things have, have reflected not only my artwork, but in my whole life. And it's been wonderful. I highly recommend it. <laughs> you you were dark. Gee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, that's a far cry from the beautiful work that we see now. I mean, look, it's yeah. not that that sort of subject matter can't be painted beautifully. But, no, I know. Um, holy moly. Yeah, vitamin D is is a big one. Um, you know, we, we go through particularly long, cold, dark winters here at the bottom of the mm -hmm. South Island of New Zealand. Um, yeah. Probably similar to what you get in, in Europe, I'm sure. Western Canada. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's vitamin D is really essential. It's got all kinds of benefits for, you know, all, mm -hmm. I, I'm not a doctor, so I, I, I couldn't say. I just know I take it. <laughs> yeah. but I, I got I to gotta take it pretty, yeah. pretty regularly. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's interesting, you know, because I can actually hear. Absolutely. The meditation has affected your art. Maybe it fundamentally changed what you were driven to you know, a, yeah. as a painter and as an individual. To be able to observe your mind and how it goes like that, that's that's such a um, cliche. Like the mind has this tendency of like vacillating between the past and the future. And that sort of, it's like a saw, right? And that saw moving back and forth, it's 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 what causes a lot of stress in the mind because mm -hmm. um, whenever, um, whenever you experience an emotion, um, whenever you have a thought that's going to trigger an emotion, correct? And that emotion is going to, trigger a lot of stuff in your body that you're you're not necessarily in control of one for instance is the breath um if you are experiencing anger you're gonna like breathe a certain way if you're depressed you're gonna exhale more if you're happy it's more inhalations right and so with every thought there's an emotion that comes up and with every emotion there's a, a whole like a biological thing that goes on and the cool thing is that these techniques like breathing techniques and meditation it's 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 like a two-way street like through influencing the way you breathe you can influence your emotions and eventually that's going to influence your thoughts um and it's uh, it's right under our nose right but it's it's we don't it's it's not mainstream it's it's becoming more mainstream but it's not it's not necessarily something you learn at school i mean everybody tells you oh just breathe but there's much more to it and so to be able to to 
not let your mind uh, just ramble on on its own for so long that it becomes sort of chronic. Like you see sometimes people who you meet and it, it immediately is like, hey, how are you doing? Good, but you know what happened like last day? Uh, this guy, this motherfucker. Sorry. Uh, like it, it just, it just, uh, it, it's just a ramble and ramble and ramble. And all they can talk about is like the good old days, their anecdotes, or some people who are like only like, well, I'm going to be doing this. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, cool. But you know what I'm going to be doing? Like people who are so caught up, right? And it's like, oh, dude, you're actually not even here. Like your body is here maybe, but, but your mind is completely somewhere else. And I think like all these media things have a, definitely a big impact in, 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 in how that's accelerated nowadays. And I can't say it's, it's good or bad or whatever, because it's, it's just the times that, it, that there are and it's only going to accelerate. Uh, but I do feel like what happens is then uh, your system gets so jarred because like it or not, like your mind can go wherever it wants, but your body is still here. Like you can't escape the present. Like uh, a, a big part of your existence is, is still in the present. And so if you stress it so much, it's, it just becomes primed to, to be uncomfortable in, in, in the present because it, it can't do anything. You can't do anything about the guy who, who, who uh, the, the girl who didn't ask you out, even though you were more better looking and you can't still do anything about uh, the, the, the bills you have to pay tomorrow or, or like. Yeah, but Lucas, I, mean, I can find that guy that owes me five bucks. Okay. I know where he lives. I can do something about that one. Okay. I've got my ways. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's I see what, what I see you're saying, is, though. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about it every all the time, that's just gonna bring a misery. And so I think like these practices is, are so essential to come back to, mm -hmm. to to that moment. And um, yeah, it's 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 awesome. And like you were saying, I think for especially um, like I, I would not only call it like creative work. I would say all the stuff that doesn't require a lot of um, like uh, like physical work. Um, where it's more of like your mind is really active all the time. It, I would say it's crucial to actually have something to, to, to clean it up, to, to bring it back to a more positive state. That way you can see things more object objectively as well. Check yourself. Um, it's just, yeah, like, like showering, showering for, for your, for your brain, for your mind. Very, very, very good. Very yeah. good. Uh, I, yeah. I'm a big fan of showering too. Yeah. I think we need it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, um, so one of the things that I, uh, sorry, yeah, go sorry. on, please, uh, please carry on. Yeah. Lucas. And, um, I think too, like th that's, that's really important. And also like physical exercise crucial. Um, and for us Absolutely. people who spend a lot of hours in the studio, mm -hmm. um, like your, uh, same way your mind has certain requirements and you need to sleep at a certain time and you need to eat at a certain time, your body also has requirements. And today, like it's so easy to just sit in a chair and do everything from a chair especially if you're on your own, like there's no one telling you, okay, um, now like you have physical education class or whatever. Uh, if you don't have to, to do physical work, then it's, it's so easy to, to go into the slumber where you, yeah, you just don't do anything. And, and it's so crucial to actually do the work, get your body tired out, like let all the systems fire up and, and work their ways. And then you feel so much more focused and, and, present and and um at ease while you're doing whatever it is you're doing so Absolutely. those two those two things boom you're, you're golden what is what is your uh, like workout routine what have you uh oh gee so okay well i i got back into um I, I don't know if I can call it bodybuilding because it's a little bit more strength and conditioning training now. I used to be okay. really interested in bodybuilding and there was a time right about when I first started my YouTube channel where I was a lot bigger 
And I okay. was just eating everything in sight and spending two or three hours at the gym every day. Um, okay. uh, but now it's about an hour a day in the gym, six days a week. And okay. I basically just go through a routine where I work out every part of my body twice a week. So I, I go through like still very similar to a bodybuilding routine where I'll do like a pushing day, which will be chest and triceps, and then a pulling day, which will be back and biceps and maybe some okay. core, maybe some calves. And then on the, the other day, it'll be shoulders and legs. And then I'll just repeat that, but I'll, I switch it up. I use a lot of kettlebells. I do a lot of you know, okay. conditioning type training where I'll do supersets or triceps, which is three exor exercises back to back for four sets. So I'm, okay. I'm starting to build a lot more volume into the gym sets, yeah. so, which is, which nice. is great. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I, the only rule is you have to leave that place exhausted and sweaty. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise it doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. How about you? So you, yeah. I know you're into skiing, but are you, do you have a daily gym habit? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's been, it's, it's been very much, um, determined a little bit for, for where, where I was living and what I was doing at the time. And I have to say like the, the best thing I found it's, and it's not what I'm doing now was, um, um, martial arts. I was doing Kung Fu and a very like cool school. And, uh, that had the perfect balance of agility strength um stuff that you have to like um, like motions you have to go over like muscle memory um and then a lot of stretching and i found like that that was also amazing before that i, I couldn't touch my toes and uh, it, at one point i could almost do a full split never got there but almost <laughs> um and like that was that was super good and but now what i do is uh, like cardio every day just go for a run and that's the great thing where i live now it can just like go out of my house and and go for a run and I'm in the middle of the forest and it's, it's amazing. Just that pure oxygen coming in and, um, yeah, just like a 40 minute run. And, and what I, while I'm running, I also do like sprints in between and whenever there's a hill, like I try to sprint it and see every day if I can go further and stuff like that. So like really push your heart, uh, not to, to a failure of course, but, uh, like as close. And, and I, I've, I subscribed the thing I heard one time is like, um, if you're able to do something today, it's very likely you can do it tomorrow. But if you wait for a few days, that might change. And so I, f I feel that's 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 um, very important. And, and as as we age, like I notice already now, like I, my stamina, my, my my levels, if I slack for a few days, are completely different from ten years ago. And of course, it's gonna only gonna keep on changing. So um, just I think the most important with with exercise, well, what you were describing, like doing it consistently a lot of times a week. So cardio. And then, um, I just recently started at a, at a place that does a mix of like CrossFit and, and power lifting and all sorts of stuff. So it's more using my muscles. Um, yeah. So essentially those kind of things. And then whenever I can, of course, like skiing or going here to the ocean, even though it's freezing, like going in for a few seconds or, uh, just getting that shock in swimming in the summer. Um, Whatever can be done outside is always amazing, but there's always room to to for just running and 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 lifting stuff like using our muscles. But uh, then the 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 um, after a while of doing it, sim similar to meditation, like the difference you notice when you skip it for a day, it's like so big that after a while it's it's uh it's like a must. Like it's it doesn't become an option to say, oh, I, actually I don't need to do to be doing this. It's like no, it's so crucial. Like I rather not like I rather not paint as much, but like the quality of my painting is going to be so much better if I put my workout in and whatever. Mm.
Again, something that we've touched on in the podcast many, many times in past episodes was this idea of building um, habits that are that are conducive mm -hmm. to creativity, but also go towards building you as, as a person and as an artist. And yeah. I think we need a more holistic approach to the way we live our lives in order to be the best mm -hmm. that we can be and produce our best work. You know, there are too many tragic stories out there about people who had life that was a little bit too out of balance, where they didn't, you know, focus enough. And a big one is physical health. You know, yeah. I know of people in my own immediate family who would let that, who have let that go, and mm -hmm. consequently have destroyed their lives with it. And and mm -hmm. it's 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 a tragedy to see that happen. I mean, and of course, you know, they were dealing with a lot of things. It's important to have compassion for these people. They were dealing with a lot, and so they would supplement that with with something, you know, be it drugs mm -hmm. or alcohol. And you know, when I when I was watching that, I, I guess I had the benefit of being you know the youngest in, in my immediate family, and also watching my mm -hmm. extended family as well, just kind of going hmm. I think I might I might do it different, and it's not that I have you know I have the answer or anything like that. I mean, because I've 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 created my own unique set of challenges. But yeah. one of the things that I realized is, you know, the quality of your life is directly determined by the quality of the decisions that you make, and mm -hmm. every day is made up of decisions about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And this has a cumulative yeah. effect. And so it might mm -hmm. not seem like much. I mean, like what you're saying, you miss a day at the gym, okay. But it might not seem like much. But if that starts building up over mm -hmm. a period of time, suddenly yeah. it ends up being a very different life. And you end up mm -hmm. looking like a very different person. You physically look like a different person. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> think like a different person. And so all yeah. of these habits that you can introduce into your life that start building that quality of life what happens, the shift that happened for me and continues to happen because I'm still a work in progress, right? The thing that, that's, that I'm noticing is this is fundamentally changing my identity of who mm -hmm. I feel as a person. It's like, yeah. would, would my identity, would I do this? Would I do X, Y, and Z? You know, like yeah. for instance, would I drink alcohol? Now I'm not judging anybody that drinks, not at all. I mean, a mm -hmm. lot of people will go away and, and have so, something casually and have a good good time, you know. But yep. for me, I'm just like uh, it's 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 a, it's a blanket no. It doesn't touch my lips, <laughs> not at all, ever. And and I, that that ends up it does by by denying that. I, I believe it does have a cumulative effect. The exercise as well, the diet as well, the sleep, you know, all of mm -hmm. these things. A lot like, you know, Sketch Endeavor, you know, people would have seen the yeah. Sketch Endeavor series on YouTube, the, the yeah. non-negotiable time that yeah. <laughs> every day you show up and you do something creative. And yeah. that has a cumulative effect. You yeah. know, the, the ongoing joke in the Sketch Endeavor series is kind of like, well, yeah, it's going to take maybe 10,000 hours and 17 and a half years to get to a yeah. level of mastery. <laughs> but I guess the point is, it's a cumulative effect of building hours, yeah. you know? Even yeah. within five years into that, it, you're going to be already so much more and more on a different course yeah. than if you you wouldn't have done it, right? It's like yeah. one degree of, uh, of sh shift in uh, in a sailing boat over a period of time. It's 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 such a huge distance, right? Absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah, how is your uh, sketch endeavor uh, going? Like, have you noticed how how do you notice it translating into all the other things you're doing? 
I've it's been challenging keeping it up. I will say that much. Mm -hmm. There have been a few days that I have missed um, in, yeah. in recent in recent weeks uh, because of travel, which I found that mm -hmm. quite difficult to keep the habit up with travel. And I also, while I edit and put together my latest tutorial, that has just taken everything to try and get this okay. tutorial over the line. But mm -hmm. the days that I do show up, and and again, this this conversation is inspiring. Going, yeah. You know, I, I showed up a little bit recently, but no, it needs to get back to the non-negotiable daily time. <laughs> but the it, it's it's interesting because I feel at the end of the day when all of those habits, it's like tick, for me, I, I like lists, I like goals, I like writing things down, but I like ticking things off. So when I look at that page, I'm like, yeah. you know what? I did it. I, I did something mm -hmm. today. So I, I get an enormous sense of validation and satisfaction from being able to do that. So that's a big yeah. first benefit. But what I found mm -hmm. directly from doing it as as just a habit, you know, and, and watching mm -hmm. the way it's developed my work, um, my drawings have gotten a lot better. I mean, I, yeah. I was okay to begin with. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been a professional artist for, you know, 15 years going on 16. And, and so I, I have my work at a particular quality, but I wasn't expected for such a dramatic jump from when I first started yeah. wow. just sketching a couple of little goats on the page to mm -hmm. drawing landscapes on toned paper with graphite and yeah. using white chalk and creating these amazing tonal uh, draw. And I, yeah. what I'm excited about, because I'm excited about the results now, but I'm excited about seeing where it's going to go. That's, yeah. that, that's really exciting. Uh, as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. so yeah it's That's awesome. I, it hasn't been i, I will say this I, admittedly it hasn't been a perfect attendance record but uh you know yeah. it, it, it's <laughs> I, I guess i guess we we need to just keep it in perspective and go okay you know what we try that's the main thing but you just totally, do yeah, your yeah. best to show yeah. up you know and uh that's that's also the thing like we i i, I think um we're so um, ingrained with a, with an idea of perfection and like striving for perfection mm -hmm. and and what and we think that perfection actually exists and there's there's no really such thing right and and what we think here it's it's so relative like in, in a like we need we need to keep that broader perspective of of, of our lives right and mm -hmm. and so if you miss a day that's okay like if you come back it's 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 all fine right yeah. and um like if if that often happens too. Like a, a, a lot of, of this thing of meditation as well is like just pulling back from your own little perspective and what you think it's it's happening, and just pull yourself back and like think, oh, there's all these people and everyone's rumbling along and there's been millions of people before and there's millions of people after and it's actually just this world and you zoom out more and it's just that little ball hanging in the middle of space and and uh, what does things really matter, right? But then we are like waves on an ocean, right? We are. At the time the the wave is coming up, it is individual and unique. There's not going to be any wave like it, but then it just goes back into the ocean, and that's sort of how our lives as well go. And that's that that can be representative of our entire life and our and to our habits, to our daily moments. Like it's it's awesome. I love those kind of kind of things. And so, yeah, that's something that it's good to keep in mind. Yeah, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it's it's been fascinating covering all of these, <laughs> you know, really cool, crazy, and out there topics. Um, what yeah. fun! Because there's there's I more. Think we talk, I think we talked about anything except the paintings itself, which is awesome. <laughs> 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 but well, that's uh, that's a big part of the creative endeavor, right? It's much more than just uh, the product. It's about the whole uh, 
much more holistic thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, it, it's becoming that. I mean, it started off yeah. as just I, I just wanted to to find out more about the the business side of things, and find mm -hmm. out how other professional artists, you know, made it work. And yeah. I mean, here we're we're a little over twenty episodes in, and it's it's starting to evolve and become something else. I, I have no idea where this is going, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, as as a whole, you know, as a, as a yeah. whole body of of podcast episodes, but it sure is fun, uh, just kind of going along for the ride. Um, one thing I will say though is it, it is just fascinating connecting with so many artists from around the world. And just finding mm -hmm. out more about you know what makes them tick creatively, what what really inspires mm -hmm. them, what are some of the things that they enjoy thinking about and talking about, and to me, I always find something in every single one of these that I get to take away. You know, mm -hmm. selfishly speaking, here I, I get so yeah. much out of it, and so <laughs> it's just a really nice thought to hear that that other people do, you know, as well. Um, but you know, you, you, we were talking about that. Uh, about we haven't actually talked much about the painting side of things, <laughs> and it might be a perfect. No, 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 place. no we need to. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we don't have yeah, to yeah. go down this rabbit hole yeah. if you don't want to. No, but yeah, I, there sure. there are a couple of yeah. things I, I would actually really yeah. like to ask you that are. Mm -hmm kind of uh, more kind of process questions. And it almost seems uh, not the right time to bring that into the podcast, but why don't we give it a shot anyway? Because, you know, here we are, we're, we're looking at this a magnificent landscape behind you. And again, I really encourage everybody listening to this and watching this video to go and check out your work on, on Instagram and on your website, um, because it's, it is stunning stuff. So walk me through the process. So we know you go out into the field and you have these amazing experiences directly with the subject you want to paint. To me, mm -hmm. maybe if we can drive this point home, because as an artist myself, like I believe that's what that is the key most important thing is paint or draw or sculpt that which you know, like that thing that mm -hmm. maybe it's not that what you know necessarily, but something that you're personally connected to and something that you yeah. want to explore uh, without preempting what your audience wants to see. This is about the internal journey more than anything. So once you have that experience, walk me through that, that, that process of building a painting. What, what, what kind of techniques do you use? You know, what, what is it painted in? Tell me. About yeah. It. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's like you said, the first thing is that being actually there and experiencing it and charging up like that, 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 uh, that internal hard drive, like with as much information as you can. But then um, in my case as well, is especially for like uh, landscapes and something that I like to do is um, explore um, like alternative uh, points of view. So I uh, something that I found to, to navigate mountains differently is to fly around them. So I do a lot of uh, flights. Um, whether it's with helicopters or planes, and that way it allows you to get sort of at eye level with the mountain peaks, and uh, you can actually see what's behind them as well. And and um, especially when you're doing a huge painting, like if it's a mountain and 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 you're looking at it from valley, it almost feels like like it's gonna come and fall over you, right? Whereas if you get higher up and you're facing the mountain sort of at eye level, it almost becomes like a portrait of a mountain. I, I found that's that's really interesting, and it's like again, it's like a, a different perspective of maybe the mountain has been painted a thousand times like oh what does it look like from the air what does it look like from the side like sometimes it's it's very beautiful as well so um i try to get creative with the ways i actually explore the landscapes and then um when i can 
if, if it's like a mellow place or it's summer, I, I do some plein air sketches as well. And that's always good to check the colors live and stuff and then bring it back to the studio. And then, of course, like taking pictures. And sometimes it takes hundreds of pictures of a place and and um, then bring them back to my studio. Um, then, of course, like stretching the canvas and, and figuring out, OK, what what's actually going to make it to, to, to a big piece and what's better off for, for smaller work. Some stuff doesn't doesn't really work in with different scale. And um, and then it, it, it starts with with sketching it out. Right. And so I at the beginning, I was really um, going for for accuracy and going really hard into every little detail and spending so much time. And then as I was painting over, I was in like, my God, so much time wasted sketching and now it's all being painted over. And, tr- and so I found a way um, to to do a more more balanced sketching pack where sure it, it, it's quite accurate and I do shading and stuff to guide me when, when I'm painting but I don't go too crazy into it because I know I'll be painting over it as well um, and I paint only with oils um, that's I mean I've painted acrylics and watercolors and all sorts of stuff and, and mixtures of them too like doing an underpainting in acrylic and then going over with oils but I found something in 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 oils just the the way um, they can reflect color, like the color accuracy and what you can predict by mixing colors as well is, is far beyond what you can achieve with with, with acrylics. Um, and I do use a very uh, limited uh, color palette, like starting out, just like five or six uh, tubes of paint. Um, and, uh, and before I start, I do like batch mix a lot of color of like what, I'm, what I know it's going to be the main parts of, of, of the painting. So it's like a... Uh, like the design process before building a home it's the planning process before starting a huge painting because it, it's if you're mixing on the go for everything it's 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 going to be impossible to keep the same um consistency from one end to the painting to the other and for me it's really important that the whole thing looks like one thing and you don't see oh here he started here he went to bed here he changed uh, or he was using something else here his brush got dirty like everything has to look like one and um like that's a challenge, but that's also what makes it fun, right? To <laughs> figure that out and go into it, and then when when it's all done, it's like, oh, well, that was, yeah, it worked. Um, and I do work, like I was saying before, like wet and wet. So as I as I go, I just paint. And at the beginning, uh, like in some other paintings that I did, I I used to um, like prime the canvas first, like putting a like an undertone, like sepia things. But then I always find that like the light just goes through the paint and bounces out back and that's going to tint the the color of what you see. And um, I feel that that warmth that it gives um, was something that um, wouldn't really work with, with the type of, of, of imagery that I was I was going for. So I'm just painting on, on pure white canvas. And it's tricky because it, it makes um, it's easy if you have so much light to 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 have, be fearful of going into the darks because as soon as you put a little bit of color in it looks very dark um so it's a, a matter of practice to 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 actually go with something that's really dark and has to be dark and then knowing that it's going to work out in the end and then getting the right nuances of white right because um like in in each of these like patches of snow here uh if you come up closer, there's actually like a lot of colors and a lot of different hues and shades and the way it blends into the shadow. Sometimes it's a harsh shadow. Sometimes it's slightly diffused. There's all these little plays that 
uh, are just fascinating. And regardless of it's snow or, 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 or any other um, scene that's happening, um, there's so many nuances. And as, as, as I keep going, I, I do feel like my eye, my sensitivity gets better and stuff becomes much more accurate. And, and like you were saying with your, with your sketches too, it's like every time I finish a paint, people ask me like, oh, what's your favorite painting? It's like the next one, <laughs> you know, right. because yeah. there's all, there's everything that I learned here and like, I'm excited to see what, how I'm going to implement it and how it's going to uh, right. progress onto the, onto the next, the next part as well. So, and then one thing I, I do um, um, want to say is something I've found and it's like, um, I, uh, sometimes I used to, um, use, um, what do you call it? Like a uh, liquid and, and like different, different paint thinners and, and stuff like that. And I was getting massive headaches, even though like I had windows in my studio and stuff, like I became very sensitive to that. So at one point I made the decision to get rid of everything that's non purely oil or a pigment. And in my studio, I only use, um, uh, walnut oil and walnut oil based colors. And it smells beautiful and it's like non-toxic and I just, it's, it's been a huge change. Wow. How so do you, how do you get the, the walnut oil to dry? Have you, how have you found the drying process change in your work? You know, cause liquid, as we know, dries pretty quickly. It will, it will yeah. go off pretty much overnight. You'll have a yeah, dry paint to work yeah. on. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. how do you find it? So I, well, that that has to me with, with with the way I paint I actually like if it doesn't dry overnight right so okay. um for me if, if it's still wet the other day that's a good thing but then um they also produce a, a walnut um what do you call it alkyte 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 it's a, like a kind of resin mm -hmm. so I guess liquid it's, it's the same idea and that one speeds up drying process as well it's not going to be as fast um and it really depends on the color like titanium white will still take a few mm -hmm. days to to fully dry but if you're using like brown tones like burnt umber it'll be dry in a few hours it's amazing mm -hmm. um and so i do play with these with those two like if there's something that is more like jagged like rocks or things that i want to dry quicker i would use more of the alcott uh, walnut oil mm -hmm. um but if not like i just stick to the regular walnut and if stuff needs time to dry then so be it but like for me to have that clean studio when i walk in it smells it smells nice and i don't get a headache it's, it's been, it's been, yeah, it's been awesome. Very good. No, that's, yeah. that's good advice. I mean, we do as painters in particular, we do expose ourselves to all kinds of things. And, and yeah. one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts is, um, and it really, yeah, it gives me a migraine is as soon as I smell any mineral, uh, spirits or turpentine oh, yeah. or any, any petroleum distillate, I immediately yep. I'll go get a migraine. Pure gum turpentine, not a problem at all. In fact, I mm -hmm. like the 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 smell yep. of pure gum turpentine because it's a different product yep. and a different process yep. by which that's derived. So even artists distilled turpentine, um, which is pure gum distilled turpentine, I I, I yep. quite like the smell. But yep. liquid. I, I, I've had some issues with that in particular in confined spaces. So I've always used that with plenty of ventilation, like an extractor yeah. fan that's actively bringing fresh air in. So I could mm -hmm. be using spray cans in the studio and I wouldn't have smelt it. Okay. But now that I'm in the new studio, I don't have an extraction mm -hmm. system yet. But what I do have is volume of airspace. Okay. So I just... Uh, it's just a little bit of poison in a very big area. <laughs> so so uh, I'll have to work yeah. on that, though. But um, yeah. I, I'm intrigued it's, by the, the walnut. I, I, I would love to play with that walnut alkyd resin. Does it, M. Graham mm -hmm. make that? Is that yep. the brand? Yep. It's, oh, that's the brand. Yep. 
yeah, yeah. Cool. so they do they they do the both the oil and the and the archive and um maybe maybe you could awesome. um maybe you could bring me some to new zealand when you come over to new zealand sounds good yeah <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah i'm going there um yeah and, and uh, end of december fantastic like, yeah so we'll see but um uh, you were saying something that i want to ask uh poisoning myself ventilation dry time medium dry time um shoot sorry uh, i interrupted you it's okay. i gotta stop doing no that. It, it, it it was gone it was gone it was while he was talking while you were talking i i forgot but it was something about your 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 painting process ah maybe this um do you do i saw from some reviews you do a lot of layering as well Yes. Like, um, how do you how do you work your 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 fat over lean and all of that? Like, do you have like do you work on like thick layers of paint or is it like very thin layers? Well, fat on lean is one rule, but you also need to be working uh, slow over fast, thick yep. over thin, uh, flexible over non flexible. Because as you're building up layers, you're actively, you're changing the properties of, of that paint. And so you need to design how you build that painting up. So I, I did do a, a, quite a detailed video on mediums on my YouTube channel in recent months. And, and that will have all of that information in there. But essentially, when you're working with a product like Liquin, uh, Windsor Newton Liquin, a lot of those rules do tend to go out the window. Some of them do. Um, I try to still work very, you know, thicker over thinner. So my block and mm -hmm. layer is, is incredibly thin and it might be, you know, diluted down with a little bit of pure gum turpentine and a bit of a liquid. But also I think the, the, the issue that a lot of us artists get into is we, we overuse mediums. We, we put a little bit too much of the additive in there yeah. and that's when we get into trouble is now you're, you're painting with medium tinted with a bit of color rather than actually yeah. using the paint and mm -hmm. and that's that's when you get into yellowing and shifting and cracking even but with mm -hmm. liquid i find if you if i keep it at no more than about 25 percent, so three parts paint to one part medium i'm in a really good zone right there i try not to go over that ratio although i have occasionally with things yeah. like a dark glaze you know mm -hmm. with with using a product like liquid fine detail but because it's a darker mm -hmm. glaze if that was going to yellow, you wouldn't detect it at all because it's in a really dark, deep area. So any yellowing, you're not going to be able to measure at all. But Makes sense. you know, in a lighter glaze, which is always applied as a as a scumble or a dry brush technique over the top, you're not using much of any medium at all. It's just brushed yeah. gently over the surface. So you know, there there's a lot of techniques and there's a lot there to know and kind of navigate. But but generally with liquid, it solves a lot of those problems because it's permanently flexible. So, yeah. you know, when you're building those layers, they, they're they're isolated and they, they lock in and they, they key into that paint and it forms a stable structure by which to layer upon. And the thing I love about it, because I do a lot of commission work and a lot of it's large, I ship it mm -hmm. rolled. So I need to be yeah. able to roll these huge canvases up and ship them internationally. Mm -hmm. And I ship them in PVC tubes. So when I'm doing mm -hmm. that, I, it, it gives me peace of mind knowing that the liquid is a really stable structure to bind yeah. that oil paint together. Because oil paint, I mean, it can be very fragile stuff, especially if you're you're painting on a floppy canvas, you know, or yeah. a linen, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and so we got to be mindful about how we put it together.
But yeah, I do a lot yeah. of layering. My layers uh, occur in, in three three different passes, the block-in, modeling, and then detail. And gradually mm -hmm. I'm, I'm building it up from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the the stretching and stretching part is always, uh, for me as well, it's like always the, ooh, here we go. <laughs> it's such a such a moment, but um, yeah, you, you, you learn and it just becomes more, uh, more easy and it's actually a quite, good way to, to 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 ship it like i found it even safer than just putting a whole crate in it for the for the finished piece well lucas kratoch will this has been a a fascinating conversation I, I love all the topics that we covered in this and it's going to be one that i'm going to enjoy going back to and, and listening to again but thank you so much for joining me on the creative endeavor perfect thanks for having me it was awesome <laughs> Well, I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast and a huge thank you and shout out to Lucas Kratokwil for joining me. Now, you can find Lucas on his website at lucaskratokwil.com and also on Instagram, lucas.kratokwil. Now, his last name is spelt K-R-A-T-O-C-H-W-I-L. And I know you're going to be blown away by his work just as I have been. It's really, truly inspiring stuff. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast, then please take a quick minute to leave me a rating or a review on whatever audio platform you're listening on. It makes a huge difference to the show and a massive thank you to everybody who's done that. This show is climbing in the ranks and I have you to thank for that. And it really is inspiring me and encouraging me to continue to bring these stories to you. I'm really getting a heck of a buzz out of connecting with artists all over the world. And it's just awesome to hear that feedback that you guys are enjoying this as well. So don't let up. Please keep writing and reviewing this podcast wherever you happen to be listening to it. And I thank you so much for the extra time and effort. Now, of course, you know where to find me. I'm on my website at andrewtischler.com. That last name is spelt T-I-S-C-H-L-E-R. Go to my website and make sure you're subscribed. It's absolutely free to do so. Simply enter your name and your email address there on my special little contact form and you'll be subscribed to my private email list. Now, why would you want to do this, you might be asking? Well, I release my YouTube videos to my subscribers to that list 24 hours before they go live, which gives us a chance to interact in that comment section. But also, whenever I release a tutorial, if painting's your thing and you want some more painting instruction, those full tutorials always get to my subscribers first and there's always a great discount whenever I release one of those. So it costs you absolutely nothing. Give it a shot. Jump on my website, andrewtischler.com slash subscribe, and I'll see you there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast. I've really enjoyed your company. I'll see you again next time.